everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast with the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and thank you for joining us. And we are in the middle of some podcasts where we're talking about systematic theology and the things that are really um, essential for us to believe as Christians and things that are kind of really foundational to Christian living. And then we'll just kind of put our feet in the water every now and then about some things that are just really kind of important for us to understand, but aren't necessarily essential or critical that we all believe the same thing. They're not, they're not, they're not that those critical level of things that are essential to Christian theology. And of those things that we've been talking about, we spent some time talking about theology. And if you'll remember, if you've been around, you can, if you're not, you can go back and listen to this. Well, the one where we talk about substitutionary atonement is that it is absolutely essential that we understand that when we say that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, what that means is that sin has a penalty, that penalty must be paid, and Jesus Christ, his death, paid that penalty um, for us. And so, so, that, so then, Ian, he is a subject. He atones. He makes up for what I did. He atones for my mistakes, for my sins, by substituting himself for me. Instead of me having to take the punishment, he takes the punishment. If you'd like, again, if you missed that, you can always go back and, and find that episode and talk about it. And, and, and kind of catch up because it is absolutely essential that we understand this phrase that gets used in church a lot, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. What does that really mean? It is perhaps the most critical question that one can ask in thinking about what does it really mean to be or to become a Christian? And so what we're going to do over the next couple of episodes is talk about a couple of things that I think uh, kind of come from that. And it may not be as critical, again, because nothing is as critical as our answer to that particular question. But we're going to answer the question today. It's like, what does it mean? So how how do I really receive, if he has given me this gift, if he has died for me, if he has substituted himself for me, how do I, how do I receive this salvation? How do I, how do I make sure this atonement that was made on my behalf, how do I make sure that it becomes mine? And then we'll answer in our next episode. It's like, once it's yours, can it be taken away? And so the, 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 theological, um, the theological phrase that is used in Christian circles is that we believe in salvation, and we believe in salvation by grace alone and by faith alone. Those, those phrases in particular have their roots in Martin Luther in the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, where his belief is that the his understanding was he was watching he was watching the church the church seemed to be moving further and further away from what was good solid Christian theology and began to as he's observing the church it seems like it seems like that the church is starting to believe or at least behave as if salvation comes from what you do that you earn salvation through through your good works. And that sin is forgiven based on doing good works to make up for it. And it kind of reached its pinnacle in what was called the, the selling of indulgences. And indulgence was essentially a, hey, in order to get a sin forgiven, if you just you know pay the church $100, you get this little token or card or whatever that says that you can get a sin forgiven. And then there were some priests that were offering super indulgences that you could essentially pay a whole lot of money for and kind of get a get out of jail free card for a sin yet to be committed or to be determined. And it was this rampant practice where 
the forgiveness of sin was no longer associated with Jesus's death on the cross, but with penance and things that you could do, you know, to make up for it. And ultimately, you know, there towards towards the, the you know the the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, that you could you could with actual money get your sins forgiven just by by, by essentially what feels like a bribe to a priest. And so this idea of salvation by grace through faith alone is absolutely important. We need to make sure that we understand that our salvation is not earned by what we do, that it is something that is a gift from Jesus Christ alone. So the, one of the foundational passages from that is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. In verse 8, Paul says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so we see here a very kind of very important logical argument that Paul is making. He says that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So we'll stop right there, make sure we understand all the terms involved here. Grace is a good thing that you get for free. As we are recording this, we are just a handful of days away from Christmas, and it is Christmas is my best example of a definition of what it means to, to, to receive grace. Grace is a good thing that you get even though you don't deserve it. You know, I you can say, well, like a birthday present. You don't earn a birthday present, but I mean, I guess there is some sense in which you kind of earned a birthday present. I mean, you you survived another year, I suppose. But a Christmas present is even very is different than that. You getting a present on someone else's birthday. There isn't anything that you did to earn that. You don't deserve it. It's not that you've done something terrible. It's just there's no good thing that you've done that allows you to get a present. You get a present just out of the kindness of someone else. I mean, I guess I guess if you're more into Santa Claus, I mean, Santa Claus brings a work salvation to um, your presence. You know, you got to be good, and he watches you when you're sleeping, which is obviously very creepy. He knows when you're awake, you got to be good, and you can't be bad, whatever. But that's not the way Christmas actually works. We get presents, not because of anything we did, but just that as, as a gift. And so, for it is by grace, it is a good thing that you did not earn, that you've been saved. And saved, again, substitutionary atonement, saved from the penalty of my sin. My sin separated me from God. Jesus died for me, so he saved me. He saved me by grace, a good thing that I did not earn, and this is through faith. That's going to be a really important thing for us to kind of put our, put our brain around, too. It is a gift. It is a free gift through faith, and faith is in this context, really has the idea of trust. It's trust. I trust that this is a good, I believe that this is true. And so now I, it, I, and I believe that it is given to me and I trust that God has done this for me. I didn't earn it. I don't have some sort of contract. I don't have some sort of arrangement with God that if I do this and avoid this, he'll do this for me. It is a free gift that I have to trust has been given to me. And Paul continues on, 
to, to make the point even further. And this, again, the saving by grace through faith, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Essentially, that is just a reframing of the first phrase that he just said. By grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Gift essentially being the same, same idea as grace. That is what a gift is. It is, a, it is an act of grace, a good thing given. And as such, if it is a gift that comes from God, it is not from you. He is not looking at the best people. Uh, the, mo- the people who are closest to perfect and certainly not the perfect people because they don't exist and figure out who can I give this reward to. It's not a reward based on effort. It's not a wage based on something that you have earned for yourself. It is an absolute gift that is not from yourselves. And verse nine, he just continues to say this over and over again. And I think it's really important, you know, and in and, and two short verses, he says the same thing three times. Because I think our brains are inclined to not believe this. And so it's important that he continues to repeat himself. Verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. A gift, not by works. You didn't earn it. You didn't, there's, there's no, there's nothing that you did that led to this. It is a pure gift so that no one can boast. And so I think it's important to think of salvation in the terms of a gift. You don't get Christmas presents or birthday presents because you did something. You don't earn them. It's not like a paycheck. Paycheck is I go to work, and at the end of work, I get money. That is not a gift. No one is being gracious with you. You you earned that. It is a gift. And one of the things is I'm interacting with um, people who are talking about getting baptized and really trying to understand what salvation means. I'll use a lot of this gift imagery, and we'll talk about, you know, you get the present under the tree, and you open it, it's something really, really cool, and then the person who gives it to you says, yeah, that cost me 20 bucks. I'm going to need 20 bucks from you. Well, that's, again, it's, it's not a gift at that point. You didn't pay for it yourself. It was given to you, and you don't pay for it after the fact. It is a gift. It is something that is freely given to you that is completely disassociated from any good works that you do, past, present, or future. It doesn't have anything to do with your works. It is a gift. You read verses 8 and 9. Paul could not have said that more clearly. He And, he, and, and just to make sure that he could say it clearly as possible, he says it essentially three different ways over the course of verse 8 and 9. And so to tie it all together, he explains a little bit more kind of the big picture theology in verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. So essentially what he's saying is you got this gift and it's not based on works because actually you are the work. You are the work. God did work. He created you. And so you are a result of works. God's work. He did the work. So in the same way he he created you, he did that work. Your salvation, he did the work. It's all his work. You are the work. Your literal creation and then your spiritual salvation, your spiritual creation, those things are things that God did, his work. That's what you are. You're not the worker. You are the handiwork. You are the handiwork that was created in Christ Jesus, again, both physically and spiritually. You were created in Christ Jesus to do works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You didn't do the works to get the gift. You are the work that he did, but he created you with a purpose, and that purpose is to do good works that actually he already created. He already created the works. He prepared them. He, he, you're the work. 
He prepared works, and he just wants you to walk in works of things that he's already prepared for you. Again, the overwhelming sense of this is that God is the one that works, and we are the one that trusts and follows. And so it is not it is not something that we do. And so it is really, really important for us to make sure that we have gift imagery. There's another passage that I think is really important in Titus chapter 3, and it just really backs all this up. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So Paul is describing the situation that we all find ourselves in pre-Jesus, before we really understand who Jesus is. He's describing sin as foolishness, disobedient, malice, envy, this that we were just in a very desperate, sinful state. Verse 4, but when the Lord, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. Kindness and love. So you are, you know, you're about as bad as bad gets, and then kindness and love showed up. It's not you were as bad as bad get, and you started to get your life turned around. Not like that at all. You were as bad as bad gets, and then kindness, kindness shows up. Love shows up. When the kindness and love of our Savior appeared, he saved us. You make sure that we fully understand the order here. You were a sinner. Kindness showed up. Not you were a sinner. You started putting some things together. You started acting better. You started doing better. You started working real hard. You started to please God. And then God responded to that. You were a sinner. Kindness showed up. He saved you. That's the order. There's nothing, there's nothing else to put in there. There's nothing you did except be a sinner up until this point. Not because of righteous things we had done. And done anything except be sinners, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It is not something that you've done, not a good thing, not a righteous thing that you have done, but because of his mercy. Mercy is very similar to grace. It's important. Uh, grace is a good thing that you get that you don't deserve. Mercy is when you deserve punishment, but you don't get it. You hear this word, you know, in in cop crime dramas, I guess, where the you guy's in court, he throws himself upon the, the mercy of the court. Essentially, that guy is saying, I did it, and I don't have any good reason for you to not punish me. I'm just asking for mercy. I'm asking for the withholding of a punishment for no reason. So it's not based on a righteous thing that you've done. It is based on his mercy. He is withholding a punishment from you for no reason of anything that you did, but it is out of his mercy, his kindness, his love. How? The washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Again, the work here is done by God. Specifically here, he's talking about what the Holy Spirit does. The work of salvation, the renewal and rebirth that happens in you is a work that the Holy Spirit does. You do not renew yourself by getting better. You do not renew yourself by being better, by doing good things. That is not how you get renewed. You receive a gift and God does work. You are the handiwork created in Jesus. The the Holy Spirit is doing the work of rebirth and renewal. The work is being done by him. Finally, verse 7, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Again, there's that phrase again, justified, made right, brought into God's presence, saved. Same thing looking at Ephesians 2, just different types of words. Having been justified by his grace, his good gift keeps coming up. We become heirs having the hope of eternal life. 
not based on anything that you've done. I think I think this this first part here, verse three and four, you were disobedient, foolish, malice, envy, hated, hating, but the kindness and love of God appeared. Ephesians two eight through ten tells us your good works show up way after, and it's not to pay off the debt that you've done, but just as an as something that God wants you to do. Your works don't have anything to do with how God saves you. And so then the question then becomes, well, then how do I then receive this? How do I, how do I make this on? So it, it says by faith, well, what does that mean? Like, what, what does it mean to receive it by faith? If, it, if it's a gift, how, how do you receive it? And again, so I'm talking to people, these kids or whomever who are, who are wanting to get baptized, and I'll use this gift imagery, Christmas gift, and I'll describe, hey, you got a Christmas gift it's under the tree. It's wrapped real nice. It's um, it's under the tree. It's got your name on it. You know it's for you. How does that gift become yours? I don't know. Sometimes that feels like a trick question. Kids are pretty good at rooting it out. Though. Like, well, you just take it and you open it, right? It, it, it's sitting there. It's given to you, but it becomes yours when you take it. You don't, you know, you don't reach for it and your parents say, wait, 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 wait. I need you to go. Uh, I need you to go uh, clean up your room first. Wait, I, I need you to go, you know, work in the yard for a couple of hours and then you can, there's nothing like that. It's yours. It is freely given to you. You simply take it. And um, John 1 12 says this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so the two verbs there that are important says received him and believed in his name. I know who Jesus is. I know what he's done. I recognize what this gift is. I, I know what it is. And I think that's important because you think, oh, it's a free gift. Well, then everybody gets it. Well, it is available to everyone. It's not the same as everyone has it. It is, it is the tragedy of, of, of perfectly awesome, wrapped, beautiful gifts under a tree that the guy never comes home for Christmas to get them. Or because of some angry dispute, with 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 a parent or the person does doesn't want to open it. I mean, there's like the gift is there, it is available, but it is not opened, it is not received, it is not taken. I believe in his name. I know who Jesus is. I understand who he is and what he did. And I understand too, I receive it. I understand he did not do this generically. It is not just simply I understand Jesus as an historical figure. I understand that. He had these characteristics. I know that he died on the cross. I know that he died on the cross for sins. You can know all of those things, but have you received it? Have you made it yours? I take this thing that I know. I know who he is. I know what he did. I know it's for me. I want it for me. To those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that is not something that you that you do per se. It is not a good work. It is an act. Like we said in Ephesians two eight and ten, it is an act of faith. It is I trust. I trust in who God is. I trust in what He did. I trust in that this was for me. It is an act of trust, not a specific work. You know, and some people who like to get really technical about 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 theological points, like well, even. The act of confessing or saying that you believe in God or praying to ask him to forgive you or 
you know, it is a, you know, if, if you're having to think or act or believe something in order to receive the gift, that's a good work. And, and I, and I, and I think some people are trying to be really clever by saying that, but, and it, it, I mean, I guess technically you say it is an act of faith to believe that's not the same as what we mean. We say it's a, it's a good works. And this is really about, do you earn what, do you earn this by doing something or is it something that you receive? And so the, the one place where people will be like, okay, well, I understand all that. And I necessarily believe all that, but the, they'll say that well, the baptism, but baptism is essential. You have to be baptized. And, and that baptism is essentially that act of receiving. And it's not really a good work, but it is the act in which you receive it. And again, I think, I think now, now, now we really have, we've, we've just kind of, we've, we've, we've lost it here. The basic idea, again, there is something that I have to do in order to get this. I think there is just a, a, a vast difference between having to do something and trusting God. And once you have to put certain physical acts in order to show, to demonstrate your faith. Now we've, we've lost the idea of what Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is telling us, what Titus 3 is telling us. This is not about what I do to show my worthiness. And that's what baptism becomes when you put it like that. Baptism is a response. And, I, and the way that I finish it with um, when I'm talking to people about getting baptized is that you get this awesome gift. It was totally for free. You didn't have to pay for it. You didn't do anything. You just open it. It was for you. It was an act of love. It was completely free. You take it. It's yours, and you open it, and then someone a little bit later in the day says, hey, man, what'd you get for Christmas? And you say, meh, nothing. Oh, that's not, it's not great. Baptism is like, of course, it's what you would never do, especially if the present was awesome. You the present, your friend calls you, what'd you get for Christmas? Like, oh, my goodness, it was this thing. It was so great. It was so great. And um, that's what baptism is. It's telling the world. It's telling the world about a great gift that you got. It's not how you receive the gift. It's not a prerequisite for the gift. It is how you communicate to the world how awesome the gift was that you've been given. And so it is really important. I mean, I, I, again, I would, I, I would put this at, at the level of, of essential. You need to understand that it is not based on good works that you've done that allow you to become a Christian. Jesus died on the cross for you. And it is not based on good things that you've done. One of the most tragic things that I'll hear from people who are wanting to take a step of faith towards God when they say something along the lines of, well, I, I want to get right with God. I, I, I want forgiveness. I want Jesus. But I, I've, I've done too many bad things. Or my, I got to get my life in order first. I mean, that's just not the way this works. You, the getting of your life in order is a work that God does. It is not something that you do so that God will accept you. God accepts you as you are, and he does the work of getting your life in order. And so I think it is absolutely critical that we understand that our salvation is by faith, by grace, by mercy, by kindness, by love, and not by works. So again, as always, thank you so much for, for joining us. If you have any questions, any thoughts, comments, I'd love to hear them at charlieatthegrovechurch.org. And we would also love to connect with you sometime on a Sunday. You can uh, find us, growthchurch.org slash connect. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services. Or if you're not local and that's not possible for you, our services stream on Sunday morning, our 1030 service. Uh, we always stream that. We would love to see you there. 
connect with you either live or or online. Either way, you can check us out at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. Love to know who you are, connect with you, help you in any way if you can. Again, I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thanks for joining us.